you can listen to The Front on your smart speaker every morning. To hear the latest episode, just say, play the news from The Australian. From The Australian, here's what's on the front. I'm Claire Harvey. It's Friday, November 10. Embattled telco Optus has offered $100 of free data to millions of customers after blaming Wednesday's catastrophic collapse of its mobile, broadband and landline services on an unexplained network event. Cricket superstar Meg Lanning is retiring. Lanning's put an indelible mark on the game with her skill and leadership. And you can hear an episode of The Front with our sports writer Will Swanton all about Meg Lanning by scrolling back in your feed. You can also check out our coverage of her remarkable career at theaustralian.com.au. In today's episode, a powerful story of the moment that triggered a Middle East war. On October 7, an Israeli combat paramedic, a 29-year-old major, was awoken by a call, get to the base. Today's episode is his raw, first-hand account of that day, as told to our correspondent in Israel, Yoni Bashan. It's raw and shocking. There are graphic descriptions of violence. But we believe it's an important story to tell as we all get our heads around the unfolding conflict sparked by that day's atrocities. On October 7, near Jerusalem, a 29-year-old Israeli man woke up to the sound of his phone ringing. He didn't know it that this was going to be one of the longest days of his life. Major G is an operative with a unit known as 669, which is one of four special forces branches of the Israel Defence Force. So it's an elite unit. It takes in about 1,000 applicants every year. There's a gruelling selection process and then a 22-month training course. And at the end of that, there's about 30 people left standing and they get in. And what they do is they mount aerial rescue missions. These are the most high-risk rescues that you can encounter in the army, but they also save civilians sometimes. Yoni Bashan is the Australian's correspondent in Israel. So when this unit was first formed in 1974, it was mainly to save pilots who'd been downed behind enemy lines. So what that would entail is getting a group of guys, flying them into, say, Syria, landing in enemy territory, and then perhaps fighting your way to a downed pilot, extracting them, providing medical assistance, but also perhaps having to fight your way out. Unit 669 is a big deal in Israel, about as elite as it gets. The personnel don't often give interviews, but Yoni spoke to Major G in an interview over the phone. We can't identify Major G because he's on active service. In fact, he had to interrupt his interview at one point to go off on a mission. I can hear you. Can you hear me? Oh, you can hear me now. Great. Major G is a 29-year-old operative, and on the morning of October 7, he was staying with his fiancée's parents at a location outside of Jerusalem somewhere, and he received a phone call at 8 o'clock in the morning. This was everyone's day off. 8 o'clock in the morning on Saturday, and he receives a phone call from his base, and they essentially say, how quickly can you get here? And at that point, most people in Israel didn't really understand to the full extent what was going on. There were a large number of rockets, thousands of rockets being fired from Gaza into Israel, but it was unclear whether any infiltrations had occurred and news was only just starting to emerge of terrorists having rushed across the border into some of the villages in the south of the country. So the first thing Major G 
did was head to his base, pick up a pack. He met up with two additional operatives who work with him and they were told to get in a pickup truck and basically head south. And that's all they knew because that's all anyone knew at that point, that there was some activity in the south, but the extent of the catastrophe about to unfold had yet to be made clear to anyone. Their mission was to go straight to Nahar Oz, a kibbutz on the border with Gaza. But there's basically a traffic jam of police cars and ambulances, all racing to get to the scene. And they could see the devastation, the aftermath of the Nova Music Festival, where Hamas had slaughtered scores of young people. The audio of this interview isn't great, so we've asked a voice actor to read the transcript of Yoni's interview with Major G, so you can hear his words clearly. There's hundreds, I'd say, of casualties, people lying all over this field and between trees and on the road, and, you know, they all look very dressed up as if it's like a party or special occasion. I had no idea that was a festival. People are screaming, bleeding to death on the floor, and I start treating them, you know, with this instinct that I'm a paramedic. He saw hundreds of bodies, and these weren't people who were necessarily dead. We're talking about civilians who were injured and who could be treated. So these were people lying in the field outside of another kibbutz named Reim. They were slumped between the trees. I've seen footage of them draped all over each other behind a bar that was set up at this music festival. And obviously, being a person whose instincts are to help, Major G starts immediately performing CPR and tying up tourniquets on anyone he can find trying to save them. And at some point, the soldier with me, he stops me and says, well, we have to continue. We have to get to where our mission is. So we get into the car and I have to literally sit on my hands against any instinct I have. And we drive to Nahal Oz and join combat there. And we fight from house to house. And the people are just slaughtered at the entrance of their homes. Children, you see elderly, and many were killed in an attempt to defend their families or their own houses. What did he find when they got to Nahal Oz? So they had to fight their way into Nahal Oz. And at this point, the number of terrorists inside the village are an unknown quantity. So they arrive there, met by groups of terrorists armed with Kalashnikov rifles and grenades, and it's a war zone. And Major G, along with his colleagues, are now moving from house to house expecting a terrorist to pop out at any moment and start shooting them or for a grenade to lob and blow up next to them. And they're moving from house to house, from room to room, trying to basically find survivors. And in the initial stages, all they're finding is bodies. The next place that his unit went to was Kafar Azar. That's another kibbutz in the south of Israel that you, in fact, visited, Yoni, and we had on the front a very evocative account of the devastation that you found there. He was there on October 7 as this attack was still unfolding. What did they find when they got to Kafar Azar? Well, if the scenes were thought to be bad at Nachaloz, they were far worse at Kafar Azar. This was one of the worst massacre sites of October 7. And in the words of Major G, there were just too many bodies, too many injured. So he, as a combat medic, arrives there and bodies are being brought out to him by IDF soldiers who are already starting to clear the buildings. And he's making very difficult decisions. There's limited resources. He doesn't have a lot of equipment. He's got his two hands and whatever's on him. And so decisions are having to be made about whether it's worthwhile treating someone who has a pulse but is covered in gunshot wounds or whether he needs to conserve his resources and devote them to someone else who might be better off trying to save. When I made the most difficult decision saying that this injured person, 
he won't stand a chance. Even if he has a pulse, he just got shot all over his body, so I just don't have the means to start treating him. There are so many other people who need my hands, my equipment. Yoni, one of the most remarkable things about Major G's account is the signs of life that he found, even in Kafar Azar amid this devastation. At some point, I was brought to a car pulled near me and someone jumped out and gave me two babies. They looked really young, maybe maybe a year old, and I checked them to see if they're injured, and afterward, whoever brought them to me. So I understood their parents were slaughtered to the entrance of one of the rooms of their own home, and they managed to hide two babies in a closet. It is remarkable, and the fact that those babies were probably secreted in that hiding space for not half an hour or 45 minutes, but we're probably talking about a period of many hours, up to 10 hours or more, and the fact that they survived is no less than miraculous. The unit moved on to another kibbutz, Biri. So arriving in Kibbutz Beri, he's still in fight mode, very much moving from room to room, but he's also scanning each one of these, trying to find victims. In one of the rooms, I open the door and I see two teenagers, younger maybe, maybe 13, 14-year-olds, girls. One is lying on the floor, a puddle of blood around her head. She was shot in the neck and her pants were pulled down. There's also remains of semen on the lower part of her back. She was brutally raped and then executed, or executed and then raped. I don't know what's worse. On the bed, there's another teenager, a girl. She's lying there. Her body's kind of like beaten up. There are all these black signs on her legs. People's hands were tied behind their backs and executed on the floor of their own kitchen. People that were just burnt to death. So walking through the place to try and find people to rescue is like... That's a way what we were doing for hours of Sunday. Coming up, glimmers of hope and strength amid the wreckage. Hey, I'm Felicity Harley and I host Healthy-ish, where we chat to experts, influencers and people in the know from around the globe to arm you with the knowledge to make healthier decisions for your mind, body and soul. I think if we're going to be focusing on health, like sleep is probably the biggest component of that. I I think sleep is the cornerstone. Like choose the harder option because I've never woken up and gone, I regret that run that I went at 4am. I've never done that. Search for Healthy-ish and Extra Healthy-ish wherever you get your podcasts. Just like in Kafar Azar, there were houses burning when Major G and his comrades arrived in the Kibbutz Beri. Major G described Kibbutz Beri in these terms. He said, if you were going to draw hell, you would draw Kibbutz Beri. Such was the wasteland that he discovered. One of the people that he found was a very old man, someone he placed around the age of 80, who he'd escorted in a hurry out of his home after many hours and brought him to a armoured personnel carrier. And they were sitting there with the village in flames around them, the bodies of this man's neighbours in the street. And they were sitting in front of each other and Major G was conducting the usual checks that he would. I think this was at 5 or 6am and we find him in a room of his house. And I asked him, I kind of, you know, check him as a medical professional. He had some bruises. He was very dehydrated. And there was this very tender moment where they kind of sat back in the vehicle and just took a moment and Major G said to him in Hebrew, so how are you doing? And the guy looked back at him and he said in Hebrew, which translates roughly to, it'll be okay. Like everything's going to be okay. 
and I looked at him and I think he was a person of like 80 something years old and I'm about to burst into tears at seeing him taken out of his burning home and everything that's like shot into pieces, glass everywhere and there's a man in front of me saying, Yahiyatov, we'll be okay, we'll be good. That kind of grabbed me in the guts in a way I can't explain. And it's kind of the remark that you wonder, was the man saying it to himself or was he saying it to the young soldier with the battered heart in front of him or was it both? And in Major G's mind, this was very much a moment that really pulled at his heartstrings and was probably the moment that nearly broke him. The other layer to this in Israel, of course, is that when Major G encounters old people, they're likely to have an experience of the Holocaust, whether a memory themselves or very close family members. It's an amazingly resilient and brave group of old people, isn't it? It is. And they live in a part of the country that very much encourages that level of resilience. They live close to the Gaza border and they know what they're in for. It it means running to the bomb shelter or in fact, setting up your bedroom inside one of the bomb shelters, as many families do. The kids don't have bedrooms. They, well, their bedrooms are in the bomb shelter and it just makes it easier in case the alarms go off in the middle of the night. And very much as you say, Claire, a lot of these people are old enough to have either lived in the shadow of the Holocaust or in the words of Major G, they may have even survived the Holocaust itself and lived long enough to experience the second one on October 7. Yoni, this is the first really detailed account I've heard of the atrocities of October 7. I'm not sure if that's because I have been turning away from it a little bit because it's so horrendous. What's it been like in Israel? Are these kinds of accounts everywhere of really, really gruesome details? There's very much a view in Israel, and it seems to be growing, especially in the Jewish diaspora, that it's very important that what happened on October 7 is accurately reflected to the public, especially when in certain corners of social media, you have people disputing the accounts in a kind of modern day Holocaust denial where they're caviling over details. Were the babies beheaded or not? Were the civilians killed by Hamas terrorists? Were the Hamas terrorists even seeking to, to kill civilians? And we know that they were because they've admitted to it much in their interrogation interviews or footage of them committing these atrocities was captured on GoPro cameras that were fitted to their bodies. One of the remarkable things about this is that Major G is telling you all of this in his telephone interview with you very frankly. He's talking about all of this stuff. The kind of cliche, I guess, or the experience that we have in Australia is that people who've experienced the horrors of war don't want to talk about it. And I guess that's the image of the battle-hardened soldier returning from a wartime experience. We've all read stories, seen films, engaged with literature where the person coming back from war simply can't talk about what they've experienced because it's too difficult. And I'm not sure if it's a symptom of the modern age. I mean, Major G is a young guy, he's 29 years old. And I'm not sure if it's a symptom of the millennial ability to be able to discuss feelings and emotions, or if there's a higher purpose to this. And certainly that that was what he told me, which is that he very much feels compelled to speak about what he saw, because the feeling in Israel is that the rest of the world doesn't realize that it's not dealing with an army in Hamas in Gaza. It's dealing with a terrorist organization and one that has no compunction about committing barbarous atrocities on civilians of all ages, as we saw on October 7. Yoni Bashan is The Australian's correspondent in Israel. Thanks so much for joining us on The Front. You can read all our journalism and subscribe to support the work of our reporters, including Yoni, right now at theaustralian.com.au. 
Our team is Kristen Amiot, Leah Zemaglou, Tiffany Dimack, Josh Burton, Jasper Leake, and me, Claire Harvey. I'm Sarah Lamarquin, Editor-in-Chief of Stella and host of our podcast called Something to Talk About. Every weekend we publish a new episode where you'll hear compelling personalities, strong opinions and thought-provoking conversations. I wanted to be able to do it in my time when I was ready and speak my truth when I was ready. The topic of when do I become a mum, that is in my mind 24-7. Search for Something to Talk About wherever you listen to your podcasts.